easier to teach after Ken tells one of his stories, isn't it? <laughs> it's like having a great singer come up and uh, sing before you preach. It's much easier than just having Glenn get up here and, you know, just... <laughs> well, anyway, this is a, it's a great, great Sunday. Uh, we have a great passage of Scripture, and I'd like you to turn to Daniel chapter 10. And if you're visiting with us, we have been studying through the book of Daniel verse by verse, and we have come to the 10th chapter of Daniel's writings, and chapters 10, 11, and 12 record the last of Daniel's four visions. <clears throat> and if you live in the area and you're visiting, we uh, hope you'll come back next week and consider joining the president's class, and you can see... Uh, Glenn Sewell, if you're interested in joining the class, or you can see myself. And uh, we also want to tell you that uh, every Sunday there's a group of 20 or 30 people that go out uh, every week for lunch. They just call themselves the Lunch Bunch. And anybody's welcome, and we, there's somebody will tell us where we're going, and we'll just show up. We just have a good time. Okay, So you're welcome to do that. And where's, the, where's Don? Now, Don, uh, do you pay for uh, Deanne usually every week? Huh? <laughs> Has he done that in the past, or I mean, Joe, 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 Joe you do you usually pay for uh, the every even before you even before you were engaged, you didn't go Dutch, huh? Okay, are you going to go with us today? Huh? huh? Oh, good. <laughs> well, Deanne, we expect you to start paying very soon. <laughs> well, congratulations, that's great. I don't know why I called you Don, Joe. That's crazy. But anyway, hopefully this week we won't have the elevator making noise. Last week the elevator was making a noise every one minute and 58 seconds. We know that from the recording of the, uh, of the teaching. So hopefully that won't happen. Okay, let's go to Daniel chapter 10. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Chapter 10 uh, is the prologue, prologue to Daniel's vision. Chapter 11 records Daniel's fourth vision. And then chapter 12, in a sense is a postscript or an epilogue to Daniel's vision. Now, although these three chapters deal with Daniel's vision, this particular chapter is very important because it gives us insight into the ministry of angels and demons. In fact, if you were going to do a doctrinal study into the whole issue of angels and demonology, you would spend a large portion of your study in Daniel chapter 10. And so we're going to actually be able to do a little bit of a doctrinal study that will take us to two other sections of the Bible. So I want you to know that in advance. But let's look at the prologue to Daniel's vision, and let's look at the, the, the time that this vision takes place in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 1. <clears throat> it says this, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel. <clears throat> so we see that this vision that Daniel's going to have is a revelation, and God is going to unfold the future for Daniel, and he's going to get a glimpse into what the future is about. So the message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar, and that was Daniel's Babylonian name. And then the writer says, and the message was true. This vision that Daniel has will come to pass for a certainty. Now, the vision takes place in the third year of Cyrus. That means that 
uh, the year is 535 B.C., and it's three, three years have passed after chapter 9. So chapter 10, we would say, is three years later. Now look at the rest of verse number 1. It says this, But, but, the appointed time, in other words, when this vision would be completed, or would come to pass, was long. This is not something that's going to happen in the immediate future. And he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. And so Daniel is going to get a vision about what's going to happen to Israel in the future, and this vision is going to extend way into the future, and it's certain to happen, and it's not a good-looking future for Israel because we know that uh, after the Persian government, Alexander the Great's going to come on the scene. He's going to conquer the area. Then we know that Antiochus Epiphanes, the madman of uh, Syria, is going to come on the scene, and he's going to conquer. And then the Roman government's going to conquer. And then finally, way in the future, when the vision ends, the Antichrist is going to come on the scene and is going to oppress the Jewish people. So that is, in a sense, the timing of the vision. Now, look at Daniel's activities preceding the vision. In verse 2, he says this. Now Daniel begins to speak. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Now, why is Daniel in a state of mourning? We know this, that when Cyrus becomes the king, he allows a remnant of Jewish people to go back to their homeland and Rebuild the temple. In fact, he says, any Jew who wants to go back can go back, but only a small group go back. Most of those people who couldn't even care about the temple. They hear they're not very religious. But a small remnant goes back to rebuild the temple, and when they get back there, they're faced with every kind of difficulty you can imagine. Opposition, all kinds of difficulty. And Daniel has been thinking about their situation, I believe, and he is in a state of mourning. Look at verse 3, he says, I ate no pleasant food, I didn't eat my regular meals, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all, I didn't comb my hair, didn't wash my face in those three weeks, until the three weeks were fulfilled. And so, he's so upset over what's happening with the Jewish people back in the homeland, that he mourns over them and he begins to fast and he begins to pray and he doesn't eat anything uh, except probably bread and water. And even the bread that he eats, we know, is unleavened bread. And let me tell you why we know that he's only eating unleavened bread because he says in verse 4, now on the 24th day of the first month, and that would make it during the Passover season. And so he's only eating unleavened bread and, you know, some people have said to me, have you lost some weight? And I said, yes, I have lost some weight. Well, I can guarantee you that Daniel's lost weight in 21 days, not eating anything except bread and water, unleavened bread, during the Passover. So he says in verse 4, now on the 24th day, this is very interesting, uh, of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, <clears throat> that is the Tigris River, I lifted my eyes and looked, uh, looked, and behold, a certain man 
clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with the gold of Euphaz, his body like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and his feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of the multitude. And suddenly Daniel looks up in the middle of his praying, and there he sees this unbelievable, glorious being that we know from other descriptions in Scripture as being an angel. Now notice it can't be a man because of the way it's described. A face like lightning, arms like bronze, voice like the multitudes. Definitely an angel. Now we're not talking about science fiction here. In our modern times, we'll read a passage like this and we think, well, this is either science fiction like Star Trek, you know, all these weird kinds of people coming on the scenes, or maybe it's part of Daniel's vivid imagination. Not that. He actually sees an angel. And to make sure that you understand that he's not hallucinating and that this is really happening in time and space, Daniel makes sure that every time he records a vision, he records it in its historical context. And I want to show this to you because it's very interesting. Look at chapter 7, for example, where we have Daniel's first vision. Look what he says in verse 1. It says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and a vision. So notice his first vision, he puts it in historical context. He tells you when it happened. He relates it to a historical event when Belshazzar was king. Look at chapter 8 in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, to me, Daniel. This isn't science fiction. This happened in time and space. Here's the guy who was king the very day that it happened. Look at chapter 9. In the first year, Darius, son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Daniel said... He has a vision. He had a vision of the 70 years at the end of verse 2. And now, chapter 10. In the third year that Cyrus was the king of Persia, a message was revealed to me. And so Daniel is not hallucinating. This is something that's happening in time and space. It's a historical event in Daniel's life during this 21-day period. And this human-like, angelic being appears to him. Now, I want you to look at Daniel's initial reaction and the initial reaction of his friends because he had some companions with him. Look in verse 7. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision. Sounds like Paul on the Damascus Road, doesn't it? Where Christ appears to him, and guess what? He has companions, but they don't see Christ. But Paul does. But you know what happens to Paul's companions? They hear a voice, and they're frightened. They fall off their horse. Same thing happens. Look what it says. The men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. They knew something supernatural was happening, and it scared them out of their wits. Now look at Daniel's response. Therefore, I was left alone. How's that for friends, huh? You know, we would say, oh, wouldn't it be fun to see have a vision? No, it wouldn't be fun to have a vision. Daniel said, I was left alone in the middle of this scary thing. 
when I saw this great vision. Look at the reaction. And no strength remained in me. Why? Because my vigor, my very life, was turned to frailty in me. And I retained no strength. Sounds like Barney Fife confronting a criminal, doesn't it? He's brave, but guess what? When a criminal robs the bank and is running out of the bank with a gun and Barney Fife confronts him, what happens? He's brave up until the time he sees the crook. And then what happens? Yeah, he drops the gun and everything shakes and he can't talk. That's Daniel. Now, Daniel's not that kind of a person in real life, is he? We know he's a brave person. He's willing to go into a lion's den. And yet, he loses his very strength. And it goes on to say, in verse 9, I retain no strength, yet I heard the sound of his words. And while I heard the sound of his words... I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. So evidently when he sees this angel, he just goes right over and he faints. So while his friends flee, Daniel faints. Face forward. And he's lost all of his strength. He can't even get up, but he can hear the words of the angel sort of in his subconscious. So it's a very frightful experience. It's not like the television show touched by an angel. When Monica appears, first she appears as a human being, doesn't she? Or Della Reese, you know? And then comes the part in the program where the halo comes around their head and people go, oh, it's an angel. And they sit down in the bar room or where they are and they just talk to the angel like they're talking to... It doesn't happen like that. It's frightening and he just goes over face first. So... He's going to be touched by an angel, but not like the television show as we're going to see. Now the angel speaks, and the angel begins to give some sort of explanation of what's going on. And look at verse 10. Suddenly a hand touched me. Now remember, he's flat on his face. Which made me tremble on my knees and on the palm of his hand. So we're going to call this the first touch of the angel. And he gets... He's on the ground flat, and he moves up to now his hands and his knees with the first touch. But let me tell you, it's not fun. It's frightening. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, second time we've seen Daniel called beloved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you, and he's sent by God. While he was speaking to me, Daniel says, this word, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, do not fear. Now, why do you think he had to say, do not fear? (laughs) Well, it's obvious, isn't it? You know, that's the most famous phrase or sentence spoken by angels in the entire Bible. Fear not, fear not, do not fear. You know why they have to say it? Because when an angel walks into the room, and reveals his glory. When he appears as an angel, it's a very frightful thing. And so he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, verse 12. Now watch this. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. 
God heard your prayer. And I have come because of your words. Now notice that the angel said that God heard Daniel's prayer from the very first day that he began to speak. That was 21 days ago. And God sent the angel out on the first day. But it's taken the angel three weeks to get here. Now why is that? Why does it take the angel three weeks to arrive? Well, look what it says. I've come because of your words, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. I tried to get here, but I was held back by the prince of Persia. Now, we know that he's not talking about an earthly prince. He's not talking about a human being, because a human being cannot withstand any angel. Even Daniel couldn't withstand the angel, could he? He was down on his face. So when the angel said, I was withstood by the prince of the kingdom of Persia, he's describing a demonic spirit. You know, the Bible calls demon spirits powers and what? Principalities. That's a principality. The principality of Persia. And this brings us to one of the most mysterious and unusual teachings in all the Bible. And that is that the scripture seems to indicate that Satan, who is the chief of all the demonic forces, has an army of angels that he assigns over certain territories to cause havoc in those nations and in those governments. And this is the one that was assigned to Persia, or what today we call Iran and Iraq. And the angel that is responding to Daniel's prayer is coming down to help Daniel and answer his prayer, but he can't get there for 21 days because this principality who rules the region where Daniel is on his knees praying won't allow the angel to get down to Daniel, and there is a fight going on in the heavenlies between the forces of good and the forces of evil. Now, I want to show this to you, so I want you to mark the book of Daniel, and I want you to go over to Ephesians, and we're going to look at three verses in Ephesians. The first one is the one that's most obvious to all of us, and that's Ephesians chapter 6. Satan has agents angelic beings that rule over certain geographical areas. They have jurisdiction over certain areas. They're actually given certain assignments by Satan, I believe. And in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, in verse 12, he says, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. Our, our problem is not with human beings. Paul says. Now, Paul is an apostle, but Paul says, you know, I really don't, it's not, when I'm hindered from preaching the gospel in an area and someone stops me or they throw me in jail, they're really not the problem. The people who throw me in jail. See, I don't, we don't fight against flesh and blood. There's something behind the flesh and blood. And here's what he says. But against princes, principalities. And I believe that's the demons that are over a principality, a municipality. 
against powers. And that's another category of demons. Against rulers of the darkness of this age. Another category of demons. Against spiritual wickedness. A spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. And so these are Satan's demonic army. Now if you go back to chapter 3 of Ephesians, And verse 10, here we see that God also has angels that are in the heavenly places. And the angels are here to protect us. They're here to protect God's people. And the angels can learn a lot from even watching us. In verse 10 it says, To the intent that now the manifold, manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. Look at this. To the principalities. That's God's good angels. He has angels over principalities. Or angels over municipalities. And powers, and look where they're located. In heavenly places. In the heavenlies. Look back at chapter 2 of Ephesians. Chapter 2. <clears throat> and here, the Apostle Paul is talking about lost people. And how we were all lost at one time and dead in our trespasses and sins. And look at verse 2, Ephesians 2.2. 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. That's how you used to live. According, look at this. You walked, Allen Street, you walked according to the prince of the power of the air. You see that? I thought I was making my choices. And I was, but guess what? There was somebody whispering in my ear, tempting me. Satan's a tempter, isn't he? He tempted Jesus. If you're the Son of God, cast yourself down. You won't get hurt. If you're the Son of God, change these stones into bread. If, if, you deserve it. You're the Son of God. Satan's in there, he's whispering in our ear. And we who were dead in our trespasses and sins, we once walked according to the course of this world, verse 2, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works, where does he work? In the sons or the children of disobedience. So when your mother told you you're filled with the devil, guess what? She was right, probably. <laughs> so, Satan is called the god of this world. When Adam and Eve sinned and they gave in to Satan's temptation, guess what? They relinquished the dominion of this world. And Satan usurped their authority. And so he's taking over control. And guess what? God allowed it to happen. We don't understand exactly why. But then God broke into time. And he revealed himself to Abraham. And he said, Abraham, even though all the world is in the hands of the wicked one, I'm plucking you out. And from you I'm going to make a people who will glorify me and reveal me to all the world. There will be a light to the Gentiles. And God gave his angels charge over those of us who are to be the heirs of salvation. And so if we could somehow pull back the curtain between heaven and earth, 
If God would just give us a glimpse for 10 seconds right now, we would see an angelic world made up of good angels and bad angels fighting battles in the heavenlies over the control of the affairs of this world. It sounds fantastic, but that's exactly what the scripture talks about. Chuck Colson said, the kingdoms are in conflict. The kingdoms of God versus the kingdom of men, they're in conflict. The kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan, they're in conflict. And so when Paul goes into a city, he's confronted by a demon-possessed girl who has the spirit of Python, the spirit of divination, who tries to hinder him from preaching the gospel. Guess what? His problem wasn't flesh and blood, was it? It was the demon that was in that girl. And he had to cast that demon out. When Philip goes to Samaria and preaches the gospel, he's confronted with Simon the sorcerer. And so here we see the, how Satan is trying to control the world and hinder the preaching of the gospel. And that's what we see in Daniel. So go back to Daniel because this is very important how Satan tries to control and influence governments. And guess what? God is working to influence governments as well. And we're going to see that very clearly. It was Gibbons who wrote The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire who said one of the major causes for the fall of the Roman Empire was the infiltration of the occult into the Roman Empire. And so here this angel, this good angel, comes to respond to Daniel's prayer and he can't get down into the land of Persia where Daniel's praying because this principality over the area of Persia is hindering him and fighting him. It takes him 21 days to break through. Hard to believe, isn't it? But let me give you a human analogy. You call 911. And the ambulance or the police car don't, does not arrive until 20 minutes later. And you say, where have you been? And they say, well, there was a traffic jam and we got hindered. And you say, oh, I understand that. Or there was a protest out in the street and we couldn't get through. You say, oh, I understand. Or we got an accident on our way. We had to call another ambulance. Oh, well, that's what happens here. God sends the angel down and guess what? It's a roadblock on his way down protester on his way down who hinders his progress and it takes him 21 days to get down. Now look at verse 13 in Daniel chapter chapter 10. You still with me? But the prince, that's the demon power, of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days and behold, look what the good angel says, Michael! Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me. If it wasn't for Michael, (laughs) what's he called? Oh, chief prince. Oh, now we have another principality, but this is the chief. Here it says one of the chiefs. Later on, we're going to discover that Michael is not only one of the chiefs, he is the chief of all the chiefs. He's called the archangel, which means the highest of all the angels. He says, if it wasn't for Michael coming, I wouldn't have made it down. Do you know what that tells us? That tells us that God's angels and Satan's angels are pretty much equal. It's an equal battle going on. What tipped the scale in this victory? Michael. Reinforcements. If it weren't for Michael, I may not have made it down in two years. But Michael came down, and he is the one, in a sense, 
that tipped the scale. Now let me show you a little bit about this guy, Michael, and this is the second sort of excursion that we're going to take. In 13, he's called one of the chief princes. <clears throat> Look what he's called in verse 21. But I tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except, look at this, Michael, look how he's described. Your prince. Michael's described as your prince. And this seems to indicate that Michael is an angel that has been assigned to protect God's people. And we're going to see that more clearly. Look at chapter 12. <clears throat> chapter 12. And look at verse 1. At that time, Michael shall stand up. And this talks about the end of the age. At that time, Michael shall stand up. Look how he's described. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of, look, your people. So here we see that Michael is the protector of God's people. He stands watch. He stands guard over God's people. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't make it. Look over at Revelation chapter 12. Now in Jude verse 9, it's, Michael's called the archangel. I mentioned that already. But look at Revelation chapter 12. And look at verse 7. It talks about how Satan is persecuting the Jewish people and the people of God. And then Revelation 12 and verse 7 says this. And war broke out where? In heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought. So here we see Michael is the archangel. He's the five-star general. Of all the angelic forces. And then you have the dragon. That's Satan. And he's the five-star general of the evil forces. And under them they have their own angels. So it says that a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. That's Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought. But they could not prevail. The demonic forces couldn't prevail. Because Michael is just strong. Nor was there a place found for them in heaven any longer. That's the demonic angels. So the great dragon was cast out of heaven. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. <clears throat> and so here we see Michael, this great warrior angel who protects the people of God lest Satan destroy every one of us. And some people even believe that Michael might be the restrainer that's mentioned in 2 Thessalonians 2. Now, we don't know that for, for sure, but it says, until the restrainer is taken out of the way, the Antichrist will not have full rule. And that could be the case as well. We're just not sure. So Michael comes and he saves the day on day 21 as Daniel is praying on behalf of his people. So go back to Daniel and let's finish out this chapter. We've learned a lot of lessons already about angels, and that's basically what this entire chapter is about. 
And let's read verse 13 again. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, that's the demonic spirit, withstood me. That's the good angel, 21 days. And it could have gone on for 22. But behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now, that's a strange statement, isn't it? And this shows us that God has angels who are ministering to kings of countries. And this angel, evidently, was trying to guide and protect and give this king of, where did, where was it? Verse 13, Persia, the kings of Persia, wisdom. And there was the demonic prince of Persia, and they were fighting for control of the nation. And then Michael came along and tipped the balance, and there was a victory. And so here we see just one angel in control of the kings of Persia, one good angel, one bad angel, fighting over territory. Strange, but true. And we see that the angels were evenly matched. Now look at verse 14. Now, well, I made it through, he says. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the the vision refers to many days yet to come. Now what vision is he talking about? The vision that's going to be revealed in chapter 11. It's going to be a vision of Israel's latter days. So he's come to give another vision and to explain it And look at the effect that that message has on Daniel. Verse 15. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and I became speechless. He said, oh no, not another vision. I don't think I can handle one more vision. He's absolutely struck dumb. Struck speechless. Emotionally incapacitated. He just goes, not another one of these visions. So I'm always leery when the person says, well, I had this vision. Well, not a biblical vision, the way Daniel had a vision. So he's speechless. Now look at verse 16. Then suddenly one having the likeness of sons of men touched my lips. Touched number two by the angel. Now, the first time the angel touched him, he was flat on his face, and the angel touched him, and he got up on his knees and got up on his feet. Now he's struck dumb, speechless, and guess what? The angel touches his lips. So now he can speak again. Sort of sounds like Zacharias and John the Baptist, who was struck speechless because he didn't have any faith, and then he was given his speech back. Well, the angel touches his lips, and then he says this in verse 16. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. See, touched by the angel saying to him who stood before me, my Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me. I've had three of these already. I've seen what's going to happen. Antichrist, people dying, you know, terrible. My sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. Look at that. Retain no strength. For how can this servant, Daniel, of my Lord, talk with you, my Lord, as for me, no strength remains in me now, nor any breath left in me. Literally, his breath is taken away when he thinks of another vision. 
And he says, I just don't think I can listen. I can't even talk to you over this matter. I've lost all my strength. Now watch this. Verse 18. Touch number three. Look. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and what? Strengthened me. Flat on his face, couldn't get up, touched him, he got up. Couldn't speak, touched his lips, now he can speak. Without strength, touches him, now he has strength. Sounds like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. For the vision that was set before him, the cross, and he realized how horrible it was. He said, oh, he lost all of his strength, he stumbled, he fell on the ground. The scripture says he fell on the ground and stumbled at least three times. And then it says an angel came and touched him and strengthened him. Gave Jesus his strength back. I believe angels can do that to us. Sometimes we reach the end of our rope. Sometimes we're burnt out. And suddenly, next minute, guess what? We didn't think we were going to make it. We're going to end up in some, you know, psychiatric war because we just didn't think we can go another day. And suddenly we get a second breath. Maybe it's a touch by God's angel where he strengthens us. Look at verse 19. And I said, now suddenly he's strength, he strengthened. And he said, O man greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. And I said, let my Lord speak. For you have strengthened me. Now I can face the vision. Now I'm ready for the vision. And then he said, do you know why I've come to you? And the answer is, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> you know, I know why you've come. <clears throat> now look what the angel says. And now I must return. Now I don't have long to hang around here. Now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. He says, man, I've got a battle going on. I've just sort of taken a, you know, two-day leave to come down here. So I had to get back to the fight. So what I'm going to tell you, I'm going to have to tell you very quickly. So that's what he says. He said, I have to get back to fight the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, and that means that when I have gone forth into battle, and I have beat the prince of Persia, guess what's going to happen? Indeed, the prince of Greece is going to come. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, guess what? Do you know who defeats the Persian Empire? Alexander, the great, the head of the Grecian Empire. And guess what? He's empowered by a demon spirit, too, called the Prince of Greece. And, and this unknown angel, we don't even know his name, says, man, and after I've beaten this guy off, guess what? There's going to come another group, come from Greece, and I'm going to have to fight those guys. And so the battle rages on and on and on. And guess what? After Greece, the Roman Empire came and there was a prince of Rome. And there was a prince of Nazi Germany. And there was a prince of the Soviet Union. And there was a prince of Japan. And there was a prince of Iraq. Demons behind the human forces. Tempting. Persuading. Do evil things. Kill masses of people. And I hate to tell you, there's a prince of the United States of America. Our fight's not against the Democrats or the Republicans or the Independents. It's not flesh and blood. Our battle is against 
princes and powers in heavenly places. People who are empowered by satanic forces. But, verse 21, I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. And it's very interesting that the angel says, I'm going to quote the scriptures. And what I'm going to tell you is the truth. And he's going to quote the scriptures and tell Daniel that no matter what happens to Israel, God's going to be faithful to his covenant. And at the end, they're going to win the battle and they're going to pull through. But then he puts a parenthesis here. And this is where I'm going to end. And it goes right into chapter 11. No one upholds me against these, meaning these demonic forces, except Michael, your prince. Also, by the way, Daniel, also, in the first year of Darius, that's three years ago, in the first year of Darius the Mede, you know what I did? I even stood up to confirm and strengthen him. My assignment back then, three years ago, was to strengthen King Darius. And now, just like I'm strengthening King Cyrus. And his job, the good angel's job, very interestingly, isn't it, at the end of verse 1 of chapter 11, is to confirm and strengthen the king, to support and encourage the king. And since angels are, the good angels, have an invisible role in government, in a sense, the angels are God's secret agents that are moving history towards its ultimate goal. And that end-time battle between Michael and the dragon and Christ and the Antichrist, when Christ will prevail and the kingdom of God will be set up on the earth. And God has assigned angelic agents to the leaders of the world. And I believe that he's assigned an angel to President Bush. And he's assigned an agent to Tony Blair to woo them and move them in the right direction and to give them intestinal fortitude. But it's not an easy task because these angels are always in a battle with Satan's forces who are trying to make our leaders make the wrong decisions. And the thing that I believe that ultimately tips the balance is the believers, just like Daniel, getting on our knees and interceding for our people and our country. And when we do, God responds and he sends an angel. He sends an angel to help out with that situation. The angel wouldn't have come in this case had Daniel not prayed. And so it's incumbent upon all of us to be intercessors for our country and for our people. Amen? We'll pick up at chapter 11 next time. Lord, we thank you for the time that we could spend in this chapter, we know that this is a very mysterious and mystifying chapter. And it seems like that we have, uh, you know, we've entered into a realm that, uh, that our eyes normally don't see. And in some ways it's frightening, in some ways it's fantastic. But Lord, we know that it's true. And uh, help us to realize our responsibility to lift our nation up to you and our leaders up to you. Trust that you will 
to guide our country in the right direction. Lord, allow the good angels, your secret agents in our government, prevail and give our president and our leaders moral courage to stand up for what is right. Help us, Lord, to always be standing on the right side of the issues that face our nation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.